from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. These are the words of the living God. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, oh, it's Abram, and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come for you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born excuse me, in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. These are the words of God. Our text for today, uh, which is uh, given... Uh, is, it's, it's in connection with the one we just read. It's found in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. These are the words of God. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him in faith, uh, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, joining us together in Jesus Christ. We thank you for gathering us here this morning uh, to worship you. And we come now to the time where we're instructed by you. I uh, pray that you would help us to listen, to be attentive to your word that you would remove any distractions, that you would get me out of the way, that anything I say that's unbiblical would fall away, that your people would hear your truth, adhere to it, cling to it, hold fast to it all their days, that you might be glorified in their lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, many have, uh, of you have probably received packages uh, in the mail before, looking a little uh, disheveled and beat up. Uh, it may look like somebody has gotten into the thing and they've gotten into all of your personal belongings, 
Uh, I'm sure at least some of you have gotten a package like this. At least I have, anyway, I think. Um, Now I'm thinking back on it, I'm not sure if I have. Anyway. You know what I'm talking about, though. You get a package in the mail, it, it looks beat up, it looks like it's, it's been run through the ringer, uh, maybe the, the, the postman kicked it around a little bit or something, or it got left out in the rain, and uh, it's just, it's mangled. Um, that is not the case when you receive a document or a, uh, or a package that has been signed and sealed by the sender. Uh, when that happens, you know that the contents are secure when it is signed for and you have a seal on the package. Uh, You know that nobody has messed with it. It comes directly from the sender to you through the messenger. And our uh, our passage today uh, shows us something very similar about baptism. Uh, I've entitled the sermon, uh, uh, Signed, Sealed, and delivered, and in baptism, that very thing becomes uh, manifest. Baptism is like that messenger uh, that brings the package, it, and it says something to us. It says all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and it is delivered over to us uh, in that package, and it is said, here it is, it's perfect, now lay hold of it by faith. Okay? That is baptism, that's what's held out to you. In baptism, and so there are two implications of that for our sermon today that I want to focus on. And the first is that baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant, and therefore we must be baptized. If we are Christians and we are in the new covenant, we must be baptized. Uh, second, baptism is a sign and seal of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and therefore we must be mindful of it. Okay. So we're going to look at that first point. Baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant, and therefore we must be baptized in verses 11 and 12. And I'm going to read them again, and then we'll come back in our second point and look at each verse individually. Okay? So let's read 11 and 12 again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in order to bring some clarification into our discussion today, we have to understand the context into which Paul is speaking. Now, some of you may remember our sermon on Galatians, and there you had these men who had came into Galatia and were trying to compel the people to be circumcised in order to be saved. Something similar is going on here. You once again have men who are saying that these people have to be circumcised in order to experience the fullness of all that God has to offer, and Paul says, in Christ, that is done away with. Uh, In Christ, that right is done away with. uh, With the inauguration of the new covenant, circumcision has been replaced by baptism. Baptism is the sign that uh, replaces circumcision in the new covenant. Let me explain. What is the connection between circumcision and baptism? Well, uh, what are circumcision and baptism? Well, they are covenantal signs. In the Old Covenant, as we read this morning, the sign that people marked uh, were marked with to identify them as members of the Old Covenant people was circumcision. And in the New Covenant, that sign is what? It is baptism. Okay? Um, 
which Paul points to here as a better sign, if you will. Uh, it's a better sign, if you will. It's the sign that God's covenant people receive in the new. But how do we get here? Okay, how do we get from circumcision to baptism? Well, again, we must understand this passage covenantally as we must understand uh, the entirety of Scripture. The Bible is covenantal, and God has worked among his people from the very beginning by means of the covenant. Uh, you will remember that Adam was set up as the covenantal head of the human race in the Garden of Eden. He represented us. And what he did, he did on our behalf. That is a covenantal head, somebody that acts on your behalf. And what happened to him happened to us. So, so just as Adam broke the law and transgressed the commandment of God, uh, disobeyed the commandment of God, it is just as if we broke the law and disobeyed the commandment of God. And just as Adam sinned and became guilty of sin, we are born as if we are guilty, or we are guilty of that original sin that Adam committed because we are in him and he is in us. Again, he is our representative. This is the doctrine of original sin. He was guilty of sin, and therefore we are guilty of sin and worthy of eternal condemnation. Now, you will remember that God did not leave the human race without hope, but God immediately came back and made a promise to one day come and undo what Adam had done. He told the woman Eve that somebody would come from her family and crush the head of the serpent. God would bring a savior through her family to her family, and thus begins the beginning of the story of our salvation, <clears throat> in history anyway. God has uh, worked through the covenant fr uh, family from the very beginning to bring that forgiveness of sins to us, and he has always given us signs to signify and seal that covenant to us. He has always given us signs to signify and seal that, uh, that covenant to us, to signify and seal those promises. And when I say a sign, I mean something that is representative uh, of the promise that God has made to us. And when I say seal, I mean that God is delivering over to us God seals and delivers that promise to us to be apprehended by faith. I've got a slide here on signing and sealing. This may be helpful for us. A sign is a symbol of what God has promised to do. Okay? Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs in the new covenant. They, they are pictures uh, for us, visible words, as it were, as uh, it has been called. Uh, of what God has promised to do. They say something to us. And a seal is what God actually does by promise through faith. Seal is what God actually does. He delivers it over to us, and it becomes ours when we apprehend it by faith. So that is what I mean by signs and seals. Um, and it all started uh, with Adam. Okay, there's As I've said, there's a sign and seal throughout Scripture to represent uh, God's promises to us, you will remember back in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve, we've talked about this recently, had access to the tree of life, which was a sign and seal of the life that God promised to give to Adam and Eve through faithful obedience. And then you move on down 
uh, to the time of Noah, where God saves just Noah and his family. Just eight people are saved in the ark, and God promises to never flood the world again with water, to never destroy the world again with water. And he gives Noah, and he gives us a sign to say to us that he will never do that again. And what is this sign? It is the rainbow. The rainbow, the rainbow is a sign and seal of the promise that God has made to never destroy the earth again with water. And when we come to Abraham, as we read in our passage today, who God promised to bless and to make into a family and a nation that would be a blessing to the world, and indeed he did, God made a promise to Abraham and his children, and he signified and sealed that promise through the rite of circumcision. If you... uh, Next slide, we have 17, uh, nine, uh, 17, 7, and 9, and 10. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. That's important. It, I'm, I'm pointing out the fact that this promise continues through families. God continues to work it out through the family line. Abraham and his offspring, after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant. See that? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcision is the covenant. Again, circumcision is the sign and seal of the promise that God makes to Abraham and his family. And that sign continues to be present right on down through the time of Moses and the time of David. The sign remains the same, but God is just continuing to unfold that promise, as it were, during different administrations. But the, the, the promise is the same and the sign is the same. Okay? It is circumcision. Uh, it is always signified uh, through circumcision. But then Jeremiah comes along and he talks about a day when a new covenant is going to come into effect. And some of you may remember our sermon on the new covenant. And we saw last week in our sermon on the Lord's Supper that Jesus ratifies the new covenant. Jesus brings the new covenant into effect uh, through his blood. And Jesus tells us that in the new covenant, the sign by which people are identified with him and his church is baptism. Jesus changes the sign. The next slide, we have Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All the promises of God, as I have said uh, in the service, uh, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God gives them over to us in him. Uh, the thing that God promised to do to one day come and undo what Adam had done, indeed he does through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when we get into the new covenant, we see the apostles preaching the gospel. And when they preach, they command people to be baptized, to receive the promises that God gives to us in the new covenant. Our next slide, we see Acts chapter 2, 37 through 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is those to whom Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Remember our sermon on Pentecost. They were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Okay, so people are continually commanded to receive the sign of the new covenant uh, throughout the book of Acts. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For, and look at verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Does that sound familiar? That is the Abrahamic covenant being reiterated once again by Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost, but it's changed. You see, it's changed now after Christ is coming. There's no more a bloody rite. It is baptism, okay? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Um, and this, by the way, is why we baptize children. Um, the promise is and always has been to believers and their children. Uh, they are those to whom God has made promises, and therefore we give them the sign of the covenant promise, which is baptism in the new covenant. Okay, so what are some of the implications of this for our lives today? Well, it is simple. We are to be baptized, and so are our children. We're to be baptized, and so are our children. Now, something that I want to make clear up front is that uh, baptism does not save you. Baptism does not save you. Once again, it is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace that God has made to us. And as we have seen, uh, that covenant of grace flows throughout Scripture. It begins in the Garden of Eden, and it continues to unfold right on down to the preaching of Peter and the apostles and in the book of Acts. Um, Now, baptism does not save us, but uh, we are commanded to do it right? By Jesus. He says, be baptized, or go and baptize the nations and make disciples of them. In short, is what he's saying. And after that, he tells us, teaching them to obey all that I taught you. Well, one of the things he tells us to do is to be baptized. And uh, so, if, if baptism is the sign of the covenant of grace, and Jesus has commanded us to receive it, and you have somebody who refuses to receive the mark of the covenant, well, we have good reason to believe that you are not Christian because you are in disobedience to Christ. But again, baptism doesn't save you. There, there are people who are saved outside of baptism. We talked about this in our study this morning. You have the example of the thief on the cross. Uh, he doesn't have time to be baptized. He's, he's crucified alongside Christ, but yet Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. But most of us don't have that excuse, okay? If you have ample opportunity to be baptized and you just refuse to do it, that's saying something. Uh, That is saying something about your faith and uh, who you're willing to identify with. It is saying something about your obedience. Uh, Now, uh, again, I don't feel like anyone has an excuse who's got opportunity. I mean, even if you get converted on your deathbed, At the last moment, you decide to repent and turn to Christ before you die, which, by the way, people don't typically do, and if they do, uh, it's most likely not genuine. Uh, But people do, and uh, when when we know that they've professed Christ, we can bring water and baptize them before they die. So there's no reason not to be baptized. Uh, If you are a believer, he commands, 
uh, that you follow him in baptism, that you be baptized, right? Further, keep in mind that baptism is the sign of the new covenant, and as such, we are uh, to take the mark upon ourselves and our children. God is saying something to us in baptism. He is saying that we are members of the covenant of grace, and as I've said, the covenant of grace uh, unfolds throughout Scripture, starts in the Garden of Eden, all the way down to Peter uh, and the apostles, um, and the reason for that being is because God has made uh, God has made promises to us and to our children, and it's the promise that continues throughout. And so, when we say we we are to baptize our children, this is to say we baptize them because they are Christians. Does that make sense? Okay, we baptize our children because they are Christians. They are those to whom God has made promises, and so we put the mark of the promise upon them. Now, if they, they receive that baptism as an infant, they are receiving the mark in anticipation of the faith that they will one day have. You, you hear that piece? It's important. They are receiving the mark in anticipation of the faith that they will one day have. But if they, if they get older and they've come of age and they're at that point professing the faith, they are receiving baptism as a sign and seal of the faith that they already have. Okay, Uh, But nevertheless, it communicates the same thing, that God holds all these promises out to us in Jesus Christ, and we are to lay hold of them by faith. So our children are to be baptized. We are to be baptized. Okay, so baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant, and therefore we must be baptized. We see that second point, uh, baptism is a sign and seal of all that God has done for us in Christ, and therefore we must be mindful of it. Uh, again, in verses 11 and 12, but we're going to look at each verse individually. So let's read verse 11 again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says, in him. Well, who, who is he referring to? Well, in Christ, okay? And he says, you've received a circumcision made without hands. What's that mean? Well, human hands didn't do it. God did it. This is a circumcision that God uh, performs. God, and this is the thing, by the way, that the old covenant uh, rite of circumcision was looking forward to all along. God told the people in the old covenant that he would one day circumcise their hearts. This circumcision we're talking about without the hands. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, we read, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Clear back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, God is saying that he's going to circumcise people's hearts. And he is indeed doing that for us today in Christ. You see, circumcision represented a cutting off of the old in order to inhabit the new. In other words, the old man the sinful uh, man, the sinful person that you once were with your sinful desires had to be cut off and done away with, and a new man has to be put on with a new heart and new desires who will follow after God in new obedience. And this is, in fact, the promise that God makes to us in the new covenant. If you remember our sermon on the new covenant from Jeremiah, we said that there were three things that God gives to us in the new covenant, and what are they? Well, they are the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, and a new heart, right? And we receive all of these things 
by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ when we are, re- when we are united to Jesus Christ, the new man. And by the way, uh, that is what this whole passage is referring to. It's referring to our union with Jesus Christ in all things. You see, the problem in the Old Covenant was that the people were under a sinful head. That is, they were under Adam, and therefore they are born with the guilt, with the original sin of Adam. They inherit it at birth. But those of us who experience the new birth are born anew. And we come under a new head, Jesus Christ, who is sinless and full of the Holy Spirit. And so when we are united to Jesus by faith, we receive forgiveness of sins. And he gives us new hearts and he makes us new men and new women that will obey the law of God the way that we were supposed to from the start. And he also gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey the law of God rightly and to keep obeying it. So we receive all these things by virtue of being united to Jesus Christ by faith. Uh, Verse 12, let's read that. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there are two things that I want to highlight uh, in this verse, and I have another slide for them. Uh, One, by virtue of our union with Christ, we have died with him, and we have been raised with him, and that has implications for our lives now. We've died with him, we've been raised with him, has implications now, okay? Number two, baptism signifies and seals our union with Christ, and we receive all of these benefits held out to us in baptism by faith. So first, by virtue of our union with Christ, we have died with him and we've been raised with him, and that has implications for our lives now. What does Paul mean when he says we've been buried with him and we've been raised with him? Again, this is pointing to our union that we have with Jesus Christ in all things. When he died on the cross that day, we died along with him. It was as if we were crucified with him. And when Paul talks about burial, he's talking about the finality of death. Uh, In the mind of God, our old man or woman uh, was crucified, was put to death with Christ. And so that person is dead. And so the implication of that for our lives today is that you're to act like it. You're to act like it. So how do you act like dead men and women? Well, you have to understand something about the nature of our salvation, and that is, yes, in Christ, you have been made a new person. You have been given a new heart. You have been given new desires, but you still have a sinful nature. You still have a a sinful nature. Uh, The Scripture refers to it sometimes as our flesh, Sometimes it refers to it as the old man, and we could say like the old Adam. Uh, And that old man or woman has to be put to death. Uh, Sometimes that old man or woman will rear its ugly head uh, in our lives, and it is then that you have to hit them over the head with a nightclub, as it were, and beat them back down. Sometimes your old man or woman uh, tries to get out of the coffin. And they start kicking and shaking things around, and the nails start coming off the lid, and you have to nail them back down. You have to keep that old man uh, dead, as it were. Because this is the way God looks at us in Christ. He considers us to be dead uh, with Christ and raised together with him. So you have to put your flesh to death. So that's the first thing that I wanted to highlight. Second, <clears throat> Excuse me, baptism signifies and seals our union with Christ 
And we receive all these benefits held out to us in baptism by faith. All that God has promised to us in Jesus Christ is held out to us uh, in baptism by God. God testifies to us in our baptism that we've been made righteous in Jesus Christ. We've been made perfectly righteous in Him, and therefore we are accepted. Paul says of Abraham that he received the sign of circumcision um, as a sign and seal of the righteousness that he had by faith before he was circumcised. So God was testifying to Abraham about something uh, when he told him to be circumcised, that he was made righteous with him by the faith that he had, but it's more than that. Uh, There have been those who have said that baptism is like a many-faceted diamond, and the more that you turn it, the, uh, the, the, the more you see the different glories of it. Uh, every way you turn it, you see a different aspect of its uh, glory. It's just like the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in that, and there are many different facets uh, to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and many blessings that come to us and flow to us from it. Um, as a matter of fact, all the best, uh, blessings and the promises that flow to us through from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ are held out to us in baptism. They are held out to us in baptism. This is to say that God visibly gives us a picture in baptism of all that he has done for us in Jesus Christ, and he declares to us that if we lay hold of it by faith, that it is ours and nobody can ever take it away from us. God is holding those things out to us in baptism. Moreover, baptism, and we can just go on. As I said, it's many-faceted. It pictures our regeneration, our washing away of our new man and our our being born anew, uh, our old man being washed away and our new man being born. Baptism pictures our ingrafting into Christ. Uh, In Galatians, Paul says it's as if we put on Christ in our baptism. We are clothed with Christ in our baptism so that when God sees us, he no longer sees us, but he sees Christ, and he loves Christ, and therefore he accepts us on his behalf. Baptism pictures the forgiveness of our sins. Just as uh, water washes away our dirt and defilements, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all of our sins, and that is pictured to us through water in uh, baptism. On and on and on we could go. And this is why it is so important for us to understand our baptism. This is why it is so important for us to to understand all that baptism represents to us, all that baptism pictures to us, so that it can benefit us now, still, in this life, even though we've been baptized and we're not being baptized today, um, but we were baptized, and it says something to us still. It still speaks. For example, uh, there are going to be times when you feel like a wretch, when you feel like you have just failed and that you are not going to be able to overcome your failures. And it is then that you are to remember that in baptism, God declares to you that you are perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ and he accepts you. And that's something you can see. You can look back to your baptism and remember something that you saw visibly, that God testified to you there. He makes you righteous in Jesus Christ. There will be times when you doubt your salvation when you're being tempted by the devil, when you're struggling with sin that you feel like you cannot overcome. And in all these things, you are to remember what God says to uh, you in your baptism. Remember that he has made you a new man or a new woman and that he is making you more 
like Jesus Christ. And that he's going to bring that work to completion. You can always remember that God accepts you and that he loves you. He loves you perfectly in him and that there is nothing that can separate you from his great love. And God says that to you in baptism. You can look back to your baptism and remember that there God was saying that. There will be times in this life where you will seek to find happiness in the things of God. This world, and you will spend up all of your time and your energy trying to be fulfilled by them, and they will continue to disappoint you just like they always have. You will wonder why you couldn't have been that famous executive that you wanted to be, or the famous baseball player, or musician, or why you couldn't have been a better dad or mom, or why you couldn't be there to console that person in their time of need. And it is then that you are to remember that your identity is not found in any of these things, but they are found in Jesus Christ, which God, again, declares to us in our baptism. We can remember that there God put his mark upon us and said that we belong to him, that we are his, right? And that nothing can change us and that he loves us perfectly in Christ and that he always has a place for us at his table. Always. And you can remember that. You can look back to your baptism and be reminded of that, that God says that to you. Come and sit with me here. I love you. You're mine. You're accepted. You're beloved. You're my son. You're my daughter. God says that to you in baptism. Uh, You can even look to your baptism for encouragement during times like uh, when you feel like giving up and and going the other way. Uh, You can remember that in your baptism you said goodbye to the world. You said goodbye to the world. You said goodbye to yourself. You said goodbye to the person that you once were and you decided to follow Christ. A baptism is like an engagement ring. Uh, In in baptism, uh, God is declaring to you and to the world that you belong to him. right? So it's like your engagement ring or your wedding ring, really. You look down at that and you're reminded that you belong to somebody else. right? You can look down at your baptism and be encouraged uh, when you feel like giving up and be reminded of this truth. Finally, baptism says that you have died and been raised with Christ, and therefore baptism speaks to you even today and says that you ought to live a life of somebody uh, that is becoming of somebody who has died and been raised again. If you, have, if you are being identified with Christ in death and resurrection and baptism says that to you, you ought to act like it. You ought to live like a person who has been crucified, who's died, and who has been raised again. Uh, even when we see other people being baptized, for those of us who are being baptized, when we have a baptism in our worship service, you can be encouraged when you see that person baptized and be reminded of all the promises that God has made to you in Jesus Christ as you look and see them baptized. So baptism is most useful to us in this life. It's not something that we've just done in the past and it's done and it's over with and we forget about it. No, It is something that we must be reminded of continually and look to continually because it will benefit us most in this life and in the life that is to come. So, we have seen that baptism is the sign of the new covenant. It has replaced the old sign. And all those who are part of the new covenant are to be baptized. We are to be baptized. Our children are to be baptized. Everyone who is a Christian... If you claim the name of Christ, you are to be 
baptized, and you are to be identified with Christ in your baptism. We've also seen that God signifies and seals all the promises that he has made to us in Jesus Christ, and that we benefit from it by remembering our baptism, by looking back to it and being reminded of all that God has done for us in him. So let us receive baptism. Let us always remember our baptism, because through it, God says and does glorious things to us and for us now and forever.